Hey, I'm Eric Soderborg, and you're listening to the How in the Health podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with today's top healthcare leaders to talk about what's really going on in healthcare and what you can do about it. My guest today is Mark Glickman, CEO and founder of Buddy INS, and we're going to be talking about the financial side of long-term care. All right, well, I'm excited to be here with Mark Glickman, CEO and founder of Buddy INS. So Mark, thank you for being on this podcast. How in the hell? Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. Great name for a podcast series. I love it. Looking forward to your future episodes too. Oh, this is great. And and this is going to be part of a two-part series on long-term care. And Mark, uh, we'll get into a little bit about your background, but this is the financial side of long-term care. And I guess that's as good a segue as any. So Mark, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into healthcare. Yeah. So I actually began my career as a long-term care actuary. So I was one of those guys at the home office that helped to price and design the policies. My dad is one of the pioneers in long-term care insurance. I'm kind of following in his footsteps a bit. But after spending about a dozen years as an actuary, I moved into a role where I got to work with a lot of the top agents and advisors and see how they were offering the products to their clients and what a great service they were providing to their clients. So I jumped more into the marketing side and now that's what we do full-time at Buddy INS as we partner with all the top long-term care agents in the country and help raise awareness and help get clients the best value out there. Oh, that's great. And one of the questions I originally had was how would your parents explain what you do? But it sounds like your parents were in that industry already. So how would you explain what you do to someone who isn't familiar with long-term care or insurance in general? Well, I guess what I would say is I help uh, raise education and awareness using technology. Uh, So we use Zoom and we do webinars for clients and we invite clients on for free to attend our educational events. And by doing that, obviously we can build stronger relationships and we can help them find the right providers. So that's in a nutshell what we do. Perfect. And take us through a little bit, what is long-term care? Good question. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have different conceptions of what it is, but it really is usually most people need care, uh, especially towards the end of life. And uh, the providers for that care sometimes can be expensive, right? You might have someone coming into your home full time, providing care for either you or for your loved ones. Um, At some point, you may need to transition to an assisted living facility where you're living somewhat independently, but you're getting assistance with your activities of daily living or maybe towards the end of life, you might have to go to a nursing home so you can get around the clock care. And so long-term care is that spectrum of services that's provided to you. Now it can happen also earlier in life. It can happen because I I saw literally this morning on Facebook in a group I'm in, uh, one of the business owners in that group, their spouse, 32 years old, had a stroke and they had to figure out, okay, what do I do now for my spouse to provide care? So it can happen anytime in life, more commonly at the end of life, but we try to help people prepare regardless of when that might happen. And you mentioned activities of daily living. What are the activities of daily living and who defines those? Yeah, the government actually defines, there's six of them that they define, uh, like eating and dressing and bathing yourself. And the way that I like to remember them is I have two young kids who are five and a half and three and a half. And so as we're watching them grow up, we're, we're watching them learn their activities of daily living, right? And yeah. being independent. And what ends up happening towards the end of your life is you start to lose the ability to do those things in kind of the reverse order that you learn them because of how complex they are to do. Um, so that's, you know, kind of the process, you know, it's a cycle of life. And again, we don't want to, of course, have people who are struggling 
taking care of themselves. And so obviously their family is gonna feel an obligation to help provide for them. But oftentimes we're, we're finding that family members are stepping in providing that care uh, for their loved ones when it makes a lot more sense to hire a professional to provide the care and have the family oversee the caregivers. Um, and that helps to avoid a lot of disruption that we see in families in these types of situations. Yeah, and why is that? Why is it better to have the professional versus the actual family member as a son or daughter or niece, nephew, yeah. whatever that may be? Well, there's several different reasons. One is that you may not want your daughter to be bathing you, for example. It's a, it's a pride thing, right? It's about dignity, you know, in a lot of cases. Another thing is um, your kids may not be professionally trained to do it. So when I think of taking care of my kids and them being, you know, 20 pounds, now picture the same types of activities, but taking care of your parents who are 200 pounds. Yeah. And just, it could be a very physical activity to be able to bathe them, let's say, to do that. So it can wear on you. In fact, that's kind of my personal experience is I saw my mom take care of her parents out of our home and watch the, the effect it had on her physically, emotionally. And so that's why you don't necessarily want to have your family doing it. It's not the wrong choice for a lot of people. It can be the right choice, but you want to have choices and you want to have maybe even someone to come into your home for a couple of hours to give that person respite, you know, or to do training for them. So there's a lot of reasons why you want to couple long-term care planning with your kind of built-in uh, social network or caregivers that might be around you. That's a good point too, because when I think of it, I, I almost think of if I'm having some sort of a long-term care arrangement, they're doing everything. But it sounds like you can kind of parcel out certain aspects of the care. And again, I've heard some say, well, I feel like it's my calling and my responsibility to my parent based on them raising me that I have a connection with them and I want to provide some care. But is it true you can kind of sparse that out or parcel that out? Yeah. Exactly. And it's just a matter of finding the right providers, having the finances in order to be able to pay for those providers. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, everyone's plan is different. That's the one thing that is universal is you're not going to find a unique situation out there. But the tools like the insurance tools do combine with, like you said, your built in providers. And I think what most people choose is to have their family be very involved in selecting the providers and interviewing them but overseeing them instead of actually physically providing the care is, is usually the best outcome, you know, except if there's a special situation where the daughter is in that line of business and there's a comfort level with wanting to do that, you know, for her mom yeah. or dad. Well, I like, I like the way you're saying that it almost seems because my parents are getting older. They don't, they don't require care at this point, but as I think about it, I do kind of want to maintain my relationship with my mom as mother son and with my father is father son right and not necessarily the other parts of that uh that yeah come with the care and i would say even more commonly probably your mom and your dad more likely don't even want you to be doing that for them i would say it's usually uh the other way that we see the concern which is why typically they're thinking about insurance because they don't want because they know their kids will step in if there's nobody else but they want to have a built-in plan like no you don't have to i bought this for this reason we can activate this and we'll get support that makes sense. So where are the places that people can receive long-term care? I mean, we're just talking places right now. Yeah, there's a lot of different uh, types of providers. As I mentioned, the most common ones and the ones that are kind of under the federal definition and what the insurance policies cover, typically home health care. So we're saying home health care aides, um, assisted living facilities, but it may also include what's called adult daycare, which kind of is like it sounds like. Um, and then uh, nursing homes uh, are the last one where you can get either private or semi-private rooms in the nursing home. Now, those aren't the only places where there are providers. There's also kind of like smaller swing facilities, which are like kind of like smaller group homes, you know, with like 
six beds. Um, there's uh, what are called CCRCs, Continuing Care Retirement Communities, where they offer kind of a full spectrum of services in one kind of place where you can transition within. Um, so there's a lot of different uh, variations on that theme, but those are the three main ones. And take us, I mean, we're about to jump into financial stuff. So take us through the costs and, and how does the cost change based on where you get the care? Yeah, what's happening is um, there's a shortage of really qualified caregivers and a shortage of facilities. And so just supply and demand, if you think about it, um, if there's a shortage, the prices are going to go up. And so what we've seen, especially over the last few years, is that the prices of home health care services, assisted living facilities, and nursing homes is going up greater than the rate of inflation, which is, again, inflation is pretty low today. But those costs are going up 4 to 6% per year. And especially because of COVID, you know, over the last year, we're seeing those costs increase even more because the providers have to invest in personal protective equipment for their staff, and they have to do more diligence to make sure, you know, that they're protecting their clients against the virus. And so we're seeing those costs jump up even more. And I think that's what people are thinking about now, if they want to hire professional caregivers, how do they set aside uh, enough money, make sure that money goes as far as possible, so that say like 30 years in the future, uh, we can unlock this plan and get the most value out of it. And is it going to cover the full cost? Um, the good thing is you don't have to anticipate and guess what's going to happen in 30 years, regardless of what you save, you can figure out how to maximize that. And like I said, it's not an either or you might have your family providing some support and you might also leverage the dollars you've saved up to help them provide the care. Um, but the key is making sure that you know that there's a cost there and at least having enough so that you don't end up having to reactively choose an option that's not good for your family, especially in a crisis situation. The failure to plan is what's most devastating for families because they have to make decisions in a, in a very quick amount of time instead of having something that's already prepared for. That brings up a good conversation too. We're both relatively young. And so I think, oh, this would never happen to me, right? Like I, I don't need to plan for it now, but you have probably have the numbers being with your background and being in the industry. So what are the odds that somebody will need long-term care in their life? Yeah, it's a good question. It's kind of a loaded question. And I'll give you the kind of the real stats that most people use and kind of the realities behind those stats. Uh, so what the government says is if by the time you reach age 65, there's greater than a 50% chance that you'll need care at some point in your life. Now, the reality is long-term care, meaning generally meaning care that lasts at least three months, is a lower percentage than that, right? But a, that still leaves a significant percentage of people that will need care at some point once they've reached age 65. So I would say for most people planning for it is a good thing to do because again, it's a likely thing to happen to you in terms of how you get the most value out of how you, what you spend and how you plan for it, um, that you can actually leverage those statistics to your benefit. Because mm -hmm. if there aren't as many people that need care for very long, you can buy, let's say an insurance policy that provides a lot of leverage for your dollar. The more people that use the policies, the less you're going to get because the insurance company has to pay for more people. So yeah. rather than guessing whether you're going to need it or not, the statistics are already kind of built into the policy and you look for the best value for yourself and you can kind of do a comparison and figure out if it's the right fit. That's great. Let's dive into that a little bit with these finances. So how can people pay for long-term care expenses, starting with they just saved money and stuffed it under a mattress and then moving towards a policy, kind of the things that you help people understand and, and leverage their dollars? Yeah. And again, not an either or answer. There's no shame in self-funding it versus buying insurance. What you should do is look at the numbers and figure out what's going to create the best plan and the best value. 
Um, so a lot of people that are thinking about retirement costs, and again, the average person that's buying it is probably between 55 and 60 years old today. Uh, so they're looking at retirement, they're thinking about, okay, how am I gonna pay for my normal living expenses? And then what if I need care, how do I make sure I have something saved up to provide for that care? Now the cost of care is such that probably on an annual basis today, it probably costs between 50 and $100,000 to get between a range of services from home health care to actually being in an assisted living facility or a nursing home. You look out 30 years from now, let's say you're 55 years old and you're planning when you're 85, those costs are probably gonna go up three to 5% compounded over 30 years. So those costs are gonna well more than double. So when you're thinking about that and that's per year, that's where it can really add up and can be scary for people. But the key is, is if you cover, let's say the first year or two even of what that need is, that's gonna buy your family time. It's gonna allow you to prepare given whatever condition you have, let's say it's Alzheimer's disease, mm -hmm. you'll be able to think about, okay, I might need more care for a longer period of time. How do we make sure we unlock more resources, but we're not feeling like we're urgently needing to make a decision because we have this insurance policy going to pay for it. So you can kind of combine both. Or you can have the you can have the insurance policy cover the catastrophic, right? Cover me for five, 10 years or maybe unlimited duration, but I'll pay for the first couple of years and I'll set aside money just for the beginning part of that. And that way until the insurance policy is activated, you know, I know what our plan is for our family and then the insurance policy covers the remainder. So even each strategy you're using is different depending on kind of the, your financial situation and and how you can you know, uh, correlate that to what the plan should look like. Yeah, and you mentioned 55 to 60. I'm assuming that it's based off of if you are wanting an insurance policy, it gets more expensive as you get older uh, to plan for that. Is that true? It, it's true, but um, the average cost of what people buy isn't that different between the ages of 40 and 60, surprisingly. Okay. What does differ is most of the policies have escalators on the benefits. So like I mentioned with the cost of care, it might be 50 to $100,000 today and it goes up three to 5%. Well, the policies kind of mimic that where you can buy an amount of coverage that matches what you need today. The policy benefits guaranteed automatically increase. Mm -hmm. So what ends up happening is if you're 40 years old buying it, you're gonna end up with a lot more benefits at age 85 because you have more time to build those benefits and to fund it versus if you're 55 to 60, where you don't have as much time. So you're spending the same amount, but the amount of insurance benefits you get might be less. Okay. Um, so. So you're correct though, that the earlier you buy it, the better deal you get because of the value of the insurance leverage. And are, are these policies all kind of a monthly premium policy or can you allocate a lump sum to this and just kind of set it and forget about it? Yeah, that's another actually really good choice you have. And there's a lot of different types of options out there. So we see that monthly pay as you go is probably very popular. One of the more popular options. You could pay it over 10, 20, 30 years, but you're paying maybe $200 a month, let's say per person. Um, into that insurance plan. That's a, probably a good average for, for what people are spending today. Um, or if you want, you can actually prepay. So instead of paying it over 30 years, you could pay it over 10 years or as a lump sum, which also has certain advantages, both in terms of um, policies that can't have a rate increase, okay. but also in terms of being able to move money from one uh, asset you have to another, and there may even be tax advantages to doing uh, prepayments. So again, kind of gets into the weeds a little bit, but you have both options and both can be designed to be affordable depending on you know, who, who you're working with. Yeah, in the event that I never use it, right? So we've gotten insurance policies and that's yeah. kind of always our gripe with any insurance policy like car or whatever else. If I never get in a car accident, I've just spent all this money. Is it a similar thing with long-term care insurance? 
both with monthly premiums and lump sum premium options? Yes, and in fact, you have both of those options too. And the great thing about the market today is there's a lot more options than there used to be. Meaning that you have our traditional policies, they're called traditional long-term care that actually allow you to leverage your money as far as possible. But again, may have the possibility of a rate increase. Again, less likely today, but it could happen. And again, may have uh, not the ability, as much of the ability to get your money back if you don't use it. Although even some of those policies have options for that too, believe it or not. <laughs> then they have something called hybrid policies, which have gotten more popular. And the reason being is that they are built on a cash value life insurance plan. And what that means is that the worst case scenario, if you put money into it, is you can always get generally at least your money back. Mm-hmm. So if you don't use it, you get your money back. It's not use it or lose it. And so a lot of people like that concept where maybe they're not getting quite as much insurance leverage as the traditional policies, but the alternative is they get guaranteed premiums. Worst case scenario is I get my money back. What do I have to lose? And really it's just an opportunity cost of how they might invest that money otherwise. Mm-hmm. So we just actually compare those side by side for the same price point. And generally it's 50-50 these days as to what people choose. Wow. Going back to some of your earlier comments, it is a pretty personalized uh, plan that you set up with these people, right? Yep. In, in terms of what to plan for and what to look at and what makes sense for them and, and in their situation. The one thing that it is not today is it's not something where you can just buy it off the shelf, buy it directly from the carrier. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone we work with is uh, a long-term care specialist that does this for more or less full-time. Uh, there's a lot of different products and options out there and they each have their own kind of unique niche or sweet spot. And you want to have like an independent agent who's helping you kind of navigate those waters. So that's the one big tip I give to everybody is make sure you talk to a long-term care specialist, let them know what you want to spend, let them know what you want your plan to do, and they'll help you guide you to the questions to, to figure those things out. And they're going to be able to pick the right product that's the best fit for you and really present it in a fair and unbalanced way or balanced way, I should say. So, uh, so yeah, that, that was, that's really my biggest tip is, um, is it, it may sound simple. I don't know how simple it sounds, but it, there are a lot of variations and options out there. And, and that way you can get the best value. Take us through, I guess, maybe kind of a worst case scenario. If you don't have an insurance policy and you're just relying on savings or other assets and the costs can get pretty, pretty high pretty quickly. And if you need this type of care for a long time, what happens to that person? Yeah, it's really kind of a sad situation. And what's, it's what drives me every day to do this. It's kind of a mission that I have is you look at the stats and there are over 40 million unpaid family caregivers today. So wow. when you think about that, that's one out of every six adults in the United States is taking care of a loved one for long-term care. And it's a shocking stat that you probably don't even realize people around you are doing this. But once you start to hear about it, you see it everywhere, right? So that's what we're really trying to figure out is like, how do we avoid putting families in a situation where they're providing care and they're and they're quitting their jobs and we particularly seeing it affecting females a lot right because they're kind of the daughters they're the ones expected to provide the care but they may be really high-powered business owners and they're quitting their career to do something because it's a good thing for their family to do but may not be a good thing for them to do or in-laws daughter-in-laws and things like that um so i i think you know when you're not planning for it that cost ends up getting shouldered by your family first But the other thing we see is uh, Medicaid. Um, The government doesn't pay for long-term care. And as you know, through Medicare, Medicare doesn't cover long-term care. Um, But Medicaid does, but only after you spend down all your assets. The government explicitly says, this is your last resort option. We're only the fallback if you're impoverished yourself, you know, and the different states have different rules on that. 
But the reality is the reason why Medicaid is paying so much is not because it's covering people who are poor. It's because people have spent their assets on long-term care and they've become poor. And that's the sad thing. It's like they've saved all their lives. They have this plan. They have this legacy for their kids. And all of a sudden, long-term care wipes it out. And then they end up on Medicaid. So that's really what we're trying to avoid. And the government even has a program where if you buy private long-term care insurance, uh, they allow you to qualify for Medicaid early, effectively. It's called the Long-Term Care Partnership Program. So they try to figure out ways to incentivize people to plan to not end up Medicaid. And it's kind of a win-win. And there's various tax incentives that you can take advantage of too, which we might talk about. You know, that's another strategy to use to add more value is the government's trying to incentivize buying private insurance. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, the Medicaid system in general, I think, can get overwhelmed and is getting overwhelmed. So that that definitely makes sense. And now that you mentioned that, going back, we had a family member who had a very successful career, uh, wealthy, I would say, and started getting into dementia, Alzheimer's, and it's so interesting as you say what happens if you don't have a long-term care policy because the family had to sell multiple houses. The family had to have the, I remember a huge garage sale where it was pretty much an estate sale where we sold everything because he had to go into a home that was, was something like $7,000 a month or something like that. And so his entire wealth was just depleted. And by that time, his kids had no real inheritance that, that he could pass on because of this. So I think that might've been what had happened. Yeah, people don't think it affects like our generation being relatively young, maybe not being as involved in seeing this. Like it happened to my grandparents versus my parents type of thing. Except that once I learned about this industry, I realized how it affected my parents. I realized how my grandparents that had the insurance policy they happened to be the owners of a life insurance agency. So they were more well connected to know about it, you know, back in the 90s, bought it for themselves. I saw the effect of professional caregivers and having the plan and how those caregivers actually became a part of our family. You know, when you think about spending as much time as I did with my grandparents. And the other side, as I mentioned, my mom took care of her parents and I saw it at home when I was in high school, but I didn't really know what was going on. You know, I didn't understand the effect. They were shielding me from it. Yeah. But looking back at it, I saw the effect and the where it, it placed on my mom. And so like, you know, that personal experience really helps, you know, hit home. And oftentimes people are drawing upon that for their own plan. Because guess what? Your trajectory most likely is going to look like your parents or your grandparents, your right? genetics. And just otherwise. And so if you've seen them and you've seen, like you had mentioned, the experience with a parent with Alzheimer's, get to motivate you to want to think about this even more. Because again, that could be a possibility. And no one wants to think about being in that situation. But once you have that, the peace of mind it gives you, right, that you have the plan set up. Okay, if this happens, we have a plan. It really helps improve the quality of your life now, just because you're, you're realizing you don't have that you know, future ahead of you. Yeah, both my side and my wife's side have a history of dementia and Alzheimer's, so I feel bad for my kids, but it makes me want to plan, right? <laughs> hey, we're gonna, we'll probably talk about this after this uh, podcast a little bit more, just to make sure you're, you're set up, yeah. So you had mentioned some tax advantages. What are, some, what are some of the tax implications of using one of these policies? Yeah, the good thing about long-term care, again, the government wants you to, to create a plan, and so they've incentivized the purchase of private insurance. Uh, most of the major options out there offer benefits when they're received that are tax-free. So instead of like investing it, if you're in a, a non-qualified you know, retirement account where you might pay tax on capital gains tax, you buy a policy, the money that goes in that policy if the benefits are used get received tax-free. And if you it's attached to a life insurance policy, life insurance death benefits are also received tax-free. So that's one tax advantage that everyone can, can benefit from. Another tax advantage that's lesser known, but very 
commonly utilized or ability, the ability to use, utilize it is common is if you're a business owner or if your spouse is a business owner, and this could be, you could be owning a big business, you could be a sole proprietor and selling stuff on Etsy on the side. Um, you can actually deduct the premium that you pay for long-term care insurance as a business expense because the IRS has defined long-term care as health insurance. And so if you can deduct your health insurance through the business as a business expense, you can deduct your long-term care uh, through your business as a business expense. How much you can deduct varies based on the type of business you have, but you still receive the benefits tax-free. So anybody that owns a business that's profitable, there's really just an upside to deducting it. Um, there really is little downside to doing it. It's just a matter of how much you get. So that's one really common one that adds an additional value, almost like a subsidy, if you will, on top of the value you get from the insurance companies, which if you choose the best products can be very significant as well. Yeah, that's huge for business owners in general. That's that's great. And it sounds, again, I'm, I'm gonna kind of repeat to make sure I understand it, kind of sounds like an HSA almost of you're receiving those benefits, right? If it's used for the approved expenses, you're not being taxed on it, but maybe you can yeah. take us through, does an HSA work at all with a long-term care policy? Yeah, it does, in fact. So yeah, if you're a business owner, probably you're going to want to deduct it first because those are like pure dollars that you're saving on taxes by doing that. Mm -hmm. um, but if you are not a business owner and you have an HSA, probably the second thing to do that can add a lot of value is to take money out of your HSA. And you're allowed to do that up to a limit. The IRS gives you a limit, but you can actually apply um, the pre-tax dollars from your HSA to pay a long-term care insurance premium. Mm -hmm. And there's no give up. You can still get the benefits tax-free. So that's the second thing that oftentimes I'll point people to after asking about business owner to get additional value. Even if you're not funding your HSA, as long as you can fund it for that year, you could fund it just for the purpose of using it to pay your long-term care insurance premium and almost like using it like a qualified vehicle. So the IRS lets you do that, again, because they're trying to allow you ways to get your long-term care insurance plan in place. Wow. Well, that sounds like a pretty nifty thing. Again, I had no idea that this even existed before I, I started working where I am now. So this is, this is awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, we work a lot of times with people's financial planner because financial planners are doing this professionally for a living. What are the best vehicles? How do we construct a plan? This is a natural extension of adding value for their clients and using the insurance policy to leverage the dollars to get more than you could probably get self-funding, but also using the tax code to further reduce the cost of this. So when you look at those options and the true numbers, it makes a lot of sense to do insurance today. Yeah, that's great. What are some of the misconceptions that you hear a lot about these policies that maybe we haven't talked about? There's several, you know, and again, the older policies, um, for example, they've had rate increases. So one of the misconceptions today is the newer policies, well, if I buy this, my rates are going to double or they're going to go up a lot. And the reality of that is there's actually a more robust regulatory structure in place. The products themselves are more conservatively priced by the carriers. And so it's much harder to do a rate increase. And if they do it, it's gonna be a much lower magnitude. So that's one thing is, you know, there's no, I'll call it um, stigma about buying traditional long-term care. But, you know, again, if you've had a bad experience or you know someone who's had a bad experience, you're gonna assume that that might happen. The newer policies are more robust that way. Um, the use it or lose it idea, um, the hybrids are beginning, becoming more popular. And I would say number one probably is that um, it's not affordable. Mm -hmm. And the key you have to remember is you're buying a pool of benefits. So for some people buying millions of dollars of benefits might make sense. For some families buying a couple hundred thousand of benefits might make sense in a lot of value. And guess what? If you buy a plan for a couple hundred thousand dollar pool of benefits, extremely affordable, $50 a month, $100 a month. So people aren't buying those plans because they don't know that they exist because they assume, I've heard long-term care is expensive. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. It's just a question of, well, how much are you buying? And you have a lot of choice in, in what you can buy. Oh, that's great. You kind of mentioned how these rate increases have kind of changed over the last few years. How has the industry itself, long-term care, changed over the past five to 10 years? And, and where do you see it going in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, well, one of the good things about, in a way, is that the carriers that, that have kind of stayed with the market, that are kind of the core ones in the marketplace today, are very comfortable with the risks. Uh, again, they're not um, you know, having as many problems as they had with the older policies. And so that's reflected in the benefits that they can offer to the consumer. So there's actually traditional carriers now that allow you to prepay the premiums to allow you to get yourself a rate guarantee. You can pay as a lump sum and you can never rate increase. So the carrier is effectively telling you, we're comfortable with the pricing. If you prepay this, you can, you can guarantee your premium. That's one example. And then on the hybrid side, we've seen a lot of innovation where those are offering more leverage uh, on your dollar. So you can pay this premium kind of like a traditional policy, get the leverage and have that death benefit available to you. And while it's gonna be probably on average a little bit more expensive than the traditional policy because you're getting all those extra benefits, um, those are becoming much more competitive and they're really kind of side by side in, in the choices that people are making. So that's the other a big trend that now the market is more 50-50 when in the past it was like 95% traditional. Now it's much more uh, oriented towards a variety of different options. Um, the one other thing that's changed a lot is that the carriers are more careful about people's health when they apply. And that is the primary driver to how much they're going to end up paying in insurance claims. So it's not a difficult process for clients. Like it's just getting your medical records and doing an interview. It's not like blood and urine usually or any of those types of things that are invasive, but they're going to be gathering more data. The insurance company really wants to know that whoever they're insuring doesn't have an immediate need or even a need within the next 10 years, right? They want to be creating a, a pool of risk where, you know, it reduces the cost for everybody which is a good thing if you're healthy today in planning. Yeah. It means that you're gonna be in a pool of people that are similar to you in terms of good health, but people that wait too long, it's not good for them. Like they have fewer options and we have to go to alternatives more, option, more often. Although there are even alternatives that are emerging that are pretty interesting today if people have waited too long to plan, but that's probably the key. And that's another good tip is buying early is less about cost and more about qualifying for all of your options. So yeah. you have more choice. That's a good point. So, so can you get denied for a policy or do they just price you out of it? Um, they have both models, but most commonly the biggest risk is getting denied. Really? And probably that's the highest it's ever been is the number of declines that we see, not from specialists that are doing it, right? But from, let's say, agents or advisors who maybe don't earn in the market as often because they don't know exactly which questions, health questions to ask. The nice thing about it is it's not a black box. The insurance companies give us access to their underwriters, their head underwriters directly. So if we know what the health conditions of the client are before we submit the application, the underwriter will tell us before we submit it, whether they're going to get approved or not. That is nice. The challenging thing is that there's so much data in the medical records, believe it or not, sometimes clients don't even know that their doctor wrote something in their medical records that's going to disqualify them. Or maybe they wrote it in error. Wow. And so, you know, we're even appealing decisions saying like, this was a mistake, the doctor has to correct it. So it's more of like just sifting through the data, making sure we set expectations. Um, and then, um, and that's, again, another reason why a specialist is, a, is an advantage because they're working with the carriers full time. They know which questions to ask. They know how to drill deeper. They'll even talk to the doctor's office to make sure the medical records are accurately reflecting whatever is really going on, just to make sure that the insurance company is comfortable with, with what's going on. Cause it's harder after it gets declined to reverse it 
than it is just to make sure it's it's all correct on the outset. You know, you said bring up such a good point. I mean, in our world too, right? Working with somebody who knows what they're talking about. I don't know why why people wouldn't do that, right? It doesn't change the premium rates. It doesn't change anything else. But having somebody like you, who I mean, you you know your stuff, right? So you know what to yeah. look for. You know what to ask. You know how to work with those carriers. And I mean, it, it's it's kind of a shameless plug, but man, it's important. And I would say that that's true of the whole world, right? Everything as it gets more complex, it gets more specialist. So well, the way I think about it is if you're gonna to go to your doctor, they're probably gonna refer you to a specialist for a particular issue you have. Well, if you go to your insurance agent or your financial advisor, they probably should be referring you to a long-term care insurance specialist. You guys have specialists on staff that we work with as well, you know, that are highly qualified in this. And the, I think the thing that scares people is that, okay, it's gonna take a lot of time or you know, they're gonna be uncomfortable in the situation. But the reality is because we have Zoom, you know, we can set up 15 minute consultations with a specialist. They're free consultations. You know, it's not like it's going to cost you a lot. You hear specialists, you think, okay, that's going to cost me a lot of money. Not at all. It's actually the cost is built into the product. It's the same regardless of whether you get it from somebody that doesn't know what they're doing and the specialist. So yeah. take advantage of the person that really is doing it full time. No, oh, that's great. And as we look to the future, we're coming out of, I hope, a pretty contentious political climate. How does the government get involved with these policies? Yeah, there's a lot of different uh, perspectives on this. One is that today's political climate may lead to higher taxes. And so people are thinking about, okay, well, how do I plan so that in the future I can reduce my tax liability if we need to increase taxes to pay for things like long-term care? Uh, the other aspect is, will there be future government programs that are going to provide long-term care so I don't have to buy a private policy? And the answer to that question is, it doesn't look like anytime soon there will be any public program. There's a few states that are testing it out, but what they're designing is a very minimal plan. Uh, so there's one in Washington state that's been passed. It's kind of the first state in the country to do this. That's gonna provide up to $36,000 of lifetime benefits. So we're talking about million dollars of benefits and $100,000 benefits. This is gonna provide $36,500 maximum. It's good because it's providing some baseline for people and it's gonna establish a plan. But it's not good if people think that, oh, I have long-term care, it's provided by the government. And uh-oh, surprise, it runs out of money like within the first six months or a year. And you're like, uh, now what do we do? So, so it's kind of a mixed bag. It doesn't look like the government's gonna provide anything meaningful because it's just so expensive to do it. So there has to be a combination of public-private. And there are some programs out there, like I mentioned, the LTC partnership, which allows you to qualify for Medicaid early in different states. And, and there are certain ways that are being done, but I don't see any new option on the horizon coming up that's gonna be better than what we have today. In fact, we've seen the opposite. Um, it's better to do it sooner just because the best value is what we're seeing today right now. Yeah, that's a good point. That $36,000 number going back to our family member, I mean, it was, I think $7,000 a month. So that's what, five months of coverage. Yeah. And they, they cover you up to 3,000 a month. So you're, you'd oh. be paying the other 4,000 out of pocket, but you have coverage for a year. So 3,000 for 12 months, basically. Well, I guess that's a good point too that maybe we haven't covered is how long is somebody typically needing long-term care? Yeah, that's a good question. So we mentioned that the odds of needing care are high, but again, greater than three months, it reduces. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing, and this is the actuarial side of me kicking in a little bit. The risk is that the longer you stay on claim, the longer your claim is likely to be. It's a weird probability thing. But basically, if you are going on claim today, your average length of claim might be two, two to three years. Okay. You go on claim and you've been on claim for a year, your average actually jumps up to five years. Wow. 
been on claim two years, it jumps up to seven years. And it has to do with the fact that once you're on claim and you're, it's kind of a sticky situation, so to speak, if you have Alzheimer's, doesn't look like you're going to recover soon, you're kind of in it for the long haul. Mm -hmm. So people think of the averages and they, I'll just plan for two or three years because that's the average. The reality is a lot of people need less than three months, like hospice care, end of life. A lot of people need greater than five years. Wow. Guess what? It averages to two to three, but most people want to protect against that, that long-term event. So we see policies designed specifically for that. And that's the mentality that we have is not about getting the best expected value. It's actually protecting against the risk that's more relevant for you and how you want it to protect for your family. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Um, Mark, what questions haven't I asked that I should have? I don't know. We covered a lot. I think uh, you covered all the salient points, the most common things, you know, when to buy it, how much does it cost? How do I get the best value? I think those are the key things. And then talking to a specialist, as I mentioned, that's the number one thing. And that's the easiest thing to remember yeah. is just ask whoever you're working with, like how much long-term care business do you do? Uh, what types of products do you offer? And if it's consistent with what we've talked about today, it's very likely that they are very qualified. And so that's a good person to work with. That's great. We have a, a little section here where we want to get to know you personally a little bit better. Okay. So it's just kind of off the cuff. We'll see what happens here. But um, you, you've built a successful career in healthcare and it's the financial side of things. Um, outside of making a comfortable living, why are you in healthcare? Well, the number one reason I mentioned is, is I kind of come into a mission, like just being exposed to people and seeing what I've seen, seeing client stories, you can't really unsee it you know, and it sticks with me. And I'm like, I have to help these people avoid this issue. So the reason why I'm in this and I've stuck with this is obviously I fell into it as a family business, my, my parents being in this world. But then like once I've met everyone in the world, everyone that I'm surrounded by is doing what's best for their client is very mission-based. And I just, that really appeals to me that I can build a business and help people and genuinely feel like, yeah, I would do the same thing if I were in your shoes and, and, you become almost like a lifelong relationship. So you're building a lot of like lifelong friendships by being in this business. That's awesome. If you could turn back time and talk to your 18 year old self, what would you tell him? Well, that's a tough one. Um, I, I don't know that I would change anything about my life. Um, just on the personal side, um, my wife is also an actuary and we started our business. Uh, she actually... Uh, really engaging, embracing the role of CFO for our company. So I get to work with my wife every day. And I think if I were 18 years old, I think that was always my dream is to find a partner. And I, I don't know how you do this, but I think I lucked upon it that we have uh, different strengths. Yeah. So what she does, I don't want to do. What I do, she doesn't want to do. And so like that marriage really works well. So I guess that's what I would say is look for that person, but you, you, can't, you can't look for that person. You just kind of get lucky and find it, I think. Oh, that's great. All right. Two more. If yeah. you had a hundred million dollars to spend on healthcare tech and no red tape, how would you spend it? Say healthcare tech? Yeah. Wow. Well, obviously I have a lot of plans for Buddy INS and we're building a lot of technology. I didn't show you the software program. But we have a screen share software where we show clients their plan kind of in real time where they can mm -hmm. see, you know, adjust it. So I would probably invest, I don't think it's gonna be a hundred million, but I would invest a lot in our technology that we're building. Um, that's probably the biggest limiting factor is time and resources to, to grow and build that. Uh, but I think I would dedicate it towards our business to invest and then probably even expanding beyond, you know, long-term care to other needs that people have 
and helping them illustrate that and educate them, build awareness for other products and things that are going to help their family. That's probably where I'm headed with it. But if you have a hundred million dollars to invest, let me know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'll keep you posted on that one. Um, last one. What is your best tip for making the world a better place? I think it's just about mutual understanding of people that we're all people. We all have the same commonalities and desires. And I think today you see a lot of a bipolar kind of world, right? Where people are on the red fence or the blue fence, for example. I'm very much non-political. And what I really try to do is understand people's situations because there's so much that I can relate to it. So that's what I want really for the world to be a better place is like a mutual understanding. And I think that might you know, bridge a lot of these gaps and a lot of the tension that we see out there today. Well, Mark, you have been amazing. And I mean that, the way that you've been able to walk us through this. And I think that we could probably talk for even longer uh, if given the opportunity and the details and the weeds that we could go into. But thank you for taking the time to do this. And just a reminder to everybody, it's buddyins.com, B-U-D-D-Y-I-N-S.com. Um, and you're in California? Yeah, I'm in Southern California. We actually are working with uh, specialists and agencies in all 50 states. Um, but, uh, but yeah, if you're ever uh, down visiting Southern California, let me know. Absolutely. Mark, thank you. Thank you again. Thanks for having me on. Hey, as we wrap up this episode, we just wanted to let you know that we record these live. So sometimes we misspeak or say things that we didn't mean to. We also run each episode by some other outside experts just to make sure that we got all of our facts straight. So in the show description, you'll find a link to some more information around the topics that we discussed. So be sure to check that out. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear others like it, be sure to subscribe. Again, thanks for listening.